Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. My name is Peyton White. I am the youth director here at Church 214. Often you can find me with them on Wednesday nights, not necessarily up here on Sunday morning. So this is a little bit of a change for me. Um, The teaching team here is a group of people who teach together. It's not just one pastor, one person who carries the weight. We believe that it is a team approach. It's how we function from the top down, from leadership to even our ministries, Um, our kids back there, my youth team. It's how we all function. And... um, What I love about a teaching team is that it's a bunch of different people with different ways of bringing God's word. So there might be one Sunday where you walk in and you're like, what is that person talking about? But please come back because the next Sunday you might really resonate with that person. And that is the beauty of teaching where we get to teach you in ways that you learn best. Okay? Um, So I have actually called this place home for nine years. This year we will be at church, right, for ten years, Bex. Yeah, for 10 years. It feels like a really great accomplishment, a really good accomplishment. So my husband and I were dating here at Church 214, got married, um, and now we're raising our kids here. And I would, I cannot picture a better place to raise my kids than in the house of God and specifically Church 214. Interestingly, um, specifically in the series that we've kicked off in 2024, the people have gone before me are Phil and Heather. And if you don't know, Phil is actually my older brother. He married my sister, Becca. And I, another thing about our church is how we are designed. So we believe that fathers and mothers raise up sons and daughters to become fathers and mothers. And as the Lord would have it, both Phil and Heather, my spiritual mama, have preached before me. And I thought, what a beautiful picture. And I was preparing for my message, and I thought, Jason is preaching next week. And Jason is my son, who I've raised up who is a spiritual father, and he is killing it. Like, I could not be more proud of you, Jason. You have stepped into such a beautiful role. I'm officially calling us the brother and sister duo, okay? We've been trying to come up with a name for ourselves. I've used some really weird names. Please forgive me, okay? (laughs) Things like stepmom and stepdad, I don't know. But we lead youth together, and where I lead the girls and I have conversations with the girls, he leads the guys, and he does an incredible job. Who in this room loves Jason? Sylvie's the first to raise her hand, as she should. That's incredible. So if you are looking for someone to be a spiritual person in your life, whether it be a spiritual mom or a dad, talk to that person. Meet with that person. Heather, I offered to babysit her kids. I was like, hey, I love Jules so much. Can I come and watch your kids, and you can go for a date night? And then it built this beautiful relationship that we have now. So find someone that you look at their life and you're like, man, the fruit is so good. I want some of the fruit of their life. And ask them, hey, will you meet with me? And if they can't meet with you, they will point you to someone who can't. Don't take offense to it. Sometimes our lives are really, really full. I'm at max capacity, but I love you, and I will find someone who is amazing who will help you on your journey, okay? Also, um, a couple things I want to talk about. The first one being one of my favorite people in the world, Ashton Rowe, texted me this morning 
an incredible word of encouragement. And I thought, look at that. That's my son who I've raised up to be an incredible spiritual father who takes initiative and he gets it. He gets the point of, hey, I know it's hard work. I know this is this is a battle, right? Flat tires, it's a battle to get here sometimes, but it's so worth it. This morning, Heather, in our, we meet, we have a production meeting before all of you arrive to make sure things are smooth and lovely. Becca does a beautiful job of that. And on this particular Sunday, Heather led and she prayed for the sick kids. And my husband, I don't have my phone, my kids are homesick. And my husband said, hey, Boone woke up, not 30 minutes after she prayed, Boone woke up feeling better and he looks way better. And I thought, praise God, that's what he has for everyone here. Okay, actually, I have a word for my brother. I felt pretty strongly to give him a word. He's not here. So, Phil, when you listen on the podcast, just want to say I love you. I'm so honored to run alongside you, and I'm so thankful that I get to learn and grow under you. So this is a word that I had for Phil, and I was back and forth if I was going to give it or not, but I think it's due to be released at this time. It's been like brewing inside of me. You know when you have a word for someone and the Lord gave it to you like six weeks ago and you have to wait freaking six weeks? I don't feel like I'm supposed to wait any longer, so I'm going to release it. So I was laying in bed one night and I felt very clearly this word for Phil and I felt very clearly it was supposed to be released the morning of my message and although he's not here, this is for him. So Phil, I began to think about the different hats that you wear inside of our church. And the Lord brought me specifically to this one hat. The most obvious hat that Phil stands right here, plays guitar, and leads us into worship. And you've done that for almost 10 years. And you've used your voice to usher all of us into the presence of God. And I have never once heard you complain. The next hat that he took me to was a mentorship hat. And the thing about Phil is, is you see him up here, but you don't see all the other things that he does, like when he's a dad and a, and a husband and he works a cat and he has two brains. Like, that's really real. <laughs> I will walk into their house, okay? And I, and this is a side tangent, it's fine. I'll walk into their house and they'll, he'll be sitting at the kitchen counter. And Becca is like making breakfast and the kids are all playing and doing their things. And he's listening to a podcast and in a work meeting at the same time. I like, can't even prepare for my message at home because it's chaos. I only can think about the things I need to do. So anyway, so I, the Lord takes me to the mentorship part of Phil and the hat that he wears. And I was immediately um, shown a picture of a boxing ring. And outside of the boxing ring, which is a square, if you know, stood Phil in the corner. And he was a coach. And I could see him yelling at the top of his lungs, like to the point of veins popping out of his neck, and he was giving direction and encouragement to the young man in the ring. The fight pauses, and the young man comes in and sits down in the corner, and he's bloody, and he's bruised, and he looks at Flop, and he says, I'm done. I don't think I can do this. Let's just give him the win. And Flop said, no, 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 no. And that's the thing about Flop is when he's in your corner, it's no, 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 no. He said, when that bell dings again, you're going to get out there and the victory is yours. And sure enough, ding, went the bell and the young man went out to claim his victory. The Lord took me to the next hat, the final one. 
and it was him on the stage, his teaching and preaching hat. And Phil brings such an incredible, diverse teaching that not a lot of people on our team have. And he makes you learn something new and then wonder about it all week long. One of my friends said, his, he has so much information that I have to listen to his message twice. Pop on the podcast and listen because it's so good. There's so much there. And I saw you, Flop, standing on the stage with, an arrow, or with a bow in your hand, stretched out, releasing arrows into the body of Christ. And as the words of God left your lips... The arrows went through and penetrated the heart of the people in this body. And what happens is when you are penetrated in the heart, it causes you to move, to shift, to change. And I believe it is a symbol of the sword of the spirit, the word of our God, leaving your lips and moving the hearts of the people for such a time as this. So I just want to honor you and tell you that I love you so much, Flop. Praying the Lord heals you, and I'll see you soon. Okay, so Psalm 24, that is where we are today. Interestingly, my sons are who introduced me to Psalm 24 for the first time. We used to, um, during the Revelation series, we listened to ancient gates all the time. Like, I'm that mom, if I really like the food I made I really like that salad I made that one day. We're going to eat it for 10 days after that, okay? That's just how I am, my poor husband, okay? If I really, really like something like an outfit, I'll wear it 10 times after that, aka today's outfit. Who saw me a couple Wednesdays ago? I was wearing this. Yeah, you like my shirt. Um, Okay, and and so when I get stuck on something, I just like it, and so that's what I'm going to do. So every time we got in the car, Ancient Gates was played by Brooke Lidgerwood. Did I say her last name right, Ashton? Okay. And at the beginning of the song says, there is singing at the ancient gates. And Boone from the backseat said, hey, mom, what does ancient gates mean? And honestly, I'm the type of person that I want to have the right answer. But I said, I don't really know, son. So let me go look that up for you. And I think someone in here needs to hear that. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, let me look that up for you. Because what it does is it teaches your children that it's okay to not know the answer. And this is going to be their whole life on their walk with Jesus. They're not going to know everything, so go look it up. And so I did. And so I gave them a very simple definition for a six- and four-year-old. And I said, it's kind of like the doors of your heart. Is the door to your heart open? Is Jesus residing inside of your heart? To which they would big eyes say, yes. And there's fruit from that as I got baptized recently. So Because I liked it so much, we started to memorize it. So we specifically started memorizing verses 7 through 10. As the Lord would have it, that's what we're going to study today is verses 7 through 10. And um, some other confirmation, if I needed any more confirmation, I was cracking up. I had a really hard week. You know those weeks where it's just like, wow, where did this come from? It's not been a week like that in a while. And I was running through my message the other day, and I was almost like audibly laughing. I'm like, pay in. The Lord had this for you. Of course, there's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be a battle to get there. And so um, the Lord is so kind to confirm things to his people. And um, there was one morning the vision team had recently met. That's how we, as a church, 
decide what we're going to teach. There's a vision team, a team of people who meet together, and they ask the Lord, what do you have for your people next? And almost 100% of the time, I've never been to one, but from my husband, you guys, the Lord gives you this same, almost the same exact word in 10 different ways, and it's so beautiful. And then the vision team gives that to the teaching team, and the teaching team breaks that down into messages for the people. And I was sitting on my couch one morning, my beloved brown couch has been with me for far too long, that mice live inside of, it is true, it is true, just a quick side tangent, my husband went hunting, one of the last hunting um, days of the season, and he came home, this is so, I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud, Holly's never going to come home, come to my home again. So he gets an apple from the fridge, and he comes, and he sits down on my couch and yells, oh, And I turned to see a mouse running across his body down into the other side of my couch. I literally, my kids have been sick. I wouldn't even go sit on that couch. I wasn't even going to sleep on that couch. There was no way, no way. Anyways, get back to the point. So I was sitting on the brown couch, and um, I was asking the Lord, I was like, God, where are we going to go next? Psalm 23 has been so good. It's been one of the most challenging seasons of my life, but one of the most beautiful seasons of my life. And I'll share more of that with you here in a little bit. Where are we going to go? I don't want to leave this place. I don't want to leave this sacred place where I have felt you in ways that I never have before, where I have gone through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will fear no evil. Like, how can we leave this place? And he simply said, we're going to Psalm 24. Having my Bible time, I'm talking to the Lord. And like any good human would do, I picked up my phone and checked my email in the middle of it. Anybody else do that or just me? Okay. All right. All right. Thank you for the honesty. So I grab my phone and I pull up my email and there's an email from Heather. And I open it and it's information about what the vision team had heard from the Lord and what was happening. And all I read was Psalm 24. And I was like, oh, confirmation. That's incredible. And I was like, okay, God, what what exactly does that mean? And he said, we are not leaving the Psalm 23 season. I'm continuing what I've done in Psalm 24. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. So I went back to the email like any normal person would do. And literally the word said, we are continuing the work that God has already been doing. As if that wasn't enough confirmation, there was more. Um, I have the incredible privilege to home educate my boys. Boone is six, Rat is four. It is one of the most adventurous, challenging, fun experiences I've ever had. And if you know me, I fly by the seat of my pants. I am not a planner. Like that is just hilariously, there's a group of girls we all teach uh, similar curriculums. And we all met and we all show up with planners except for Becca because she's very similar to me. And I, I had a planner. I haven't touched it since that meeting which was this summer. So I just wake up one day and I'm like, here we go. Literally, my kids started kindergarten and I opened the page. I'm like, I'm teaching my kid how to read today. I don't even know if I know how to read. What is that? What is that? What does that letter say? Lord, help me. He, I can say that he is successfully-ish reading because of me. So anyway, um, for one time in my whole life, Melody, are you dying right now? You were like a homeschool guru. Were you a planner? Okay, okay, that's the way to go. Don't need a planner. So um, for some unknown reason, I decided to read ahead on the unit to prepare myself. And, um, and, and, and to be honest, I was excited. I picked where we were going next. We were going to learn about the national parks. I thought it'd be super cool. We'd beg our, my husband to take us on a trip to go visit one of those national parks, maybe to Florida. 
I don't know. In the winter, that'd be lovely. It does say that it's better to go to the Everglades when it's colder. So maybe we'll get a trip out of it. We'll see. So I'm reading about this unit and the woman who wrote it, her name is Rebecca. She writes a letter at the beginning of the um, unit, which I never care to read, but for some reason, the Lord would have it that I would read it. And um, each week, there is a specific verse that you will study. And she said, each verse we study reminds us that God is the creator of heaven and earth and that he, all the earth sings his praises. And I thought, watch Psalm 24 be one of them. Really quick, flip to the page. Sure enough, Psalm 24.1 is the first one. Not only that, Genesis 1.1 is also one of the verses that I will study with my son. And I thought, God, you're so cool to confirm and so um, if I needed any other uh, confirmation that this is where I should preach, there it is. You know, does anyone just have those moments where it's like God just makes it so loud and clear that you cannot miss it? Or maybe you are because your head's in the clouds. So wake up. All right. So here we go. Psalm 24. Guys, I had planned for my son to come up here and read it with me. And he was like, no. He said up here. And I was like, hey, are you going to do that when I go up there? And he's like, He'd rather go play, which is a good sign. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built them on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies, he is the king of glory. That could literally be it. That could be like, bless you all, go home. So powerful. But we're not. We're going to stay here, learn a little bit more. So something Heather said last week was to memorize this scripture. If you're not already doing that, this is your reminder to memorize God's word, to keep it hidden in your heart. You are never too old to memorize God's word. You're never too old to learn new things about the Lord. Oftentimes, since I am able to teach at home with my kids, we make up motions. If you are a parent and you want to memorize scripture, keep it hidden in your kids' hearts, make up motions. Again, I fly by the seat of my pants, so whatever comes to mind, we just do. This is the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's so simple, okay? Who may climb the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place. Very simple moves, motions, and your kids will pick it up like that. So I begin to ask the Lord, specifically for verses 7 to 10, Lord, where, where do you want to take the church? What do you want to say to the church? And I'm, I'm, I'm like ser dead serious when I say this. I thought it was going to be like this big extravagant thing. And it was going to like wow you all. And the Lord said, let's keep it simple. And it's one sentence. The gates are open. 
the gates are open. I was teaching, we've, we've added some new uh, teachers to our youth teaching team, and I was being completely honest with them, and I was telling them a little bit about my message prep for this specific message, and I literally told them, I said, are you sure, God? Are you sure you don't want it to be this big, like, extravagant thing? Just being super honest with you all. And he said, no, the gates are open. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors. It's happening now. It is presently taking place. It happened back then, and it's happening right now in this moment. It's happening here, right now in your seat. It's happening in the workplaces that you work. It's happening in your home. It's happening with your kids in your schools. The gates are open. The glory of the king is here. He is entering. He is among us. You know, when we were singing, often I can be in my seat and the music is loud and the lights are bright and I can just see the presence of the Lord. Everything else is drowned out around me. It's just me and the Lord. He is among us. It's the sound of the Savior's robe as he walks through the room. And I love when we sing that because I literally see the Lord our God walking through the robes and his robe is trailing behind him, touching every single one of you. There is not one person who is left out from the hand of God. He is the one who was, who is, and is coming now. Eden is the first account of the gates being opened. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve walked with the presence of God. It's so hard for our human minds to comprehend. Every step they took, every place they entered, the presence of God was with them, the tangible presence of God. Like when, they, when Moses says he spoke to God face to face, that's what they experienced every single day. And then sin entered the world. And the fall happened and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, so much so that guards stood guard at the gates and a flaming sword waved back and forth. No longer did they walk with the presence of God. And because God is so kind, it's not the end. Because he loves his people so much, it's not the end. Despite the mistakes of mankind, he still showed up and met his people, both back then and today, presently taking place. We make mistakes. We yell at our kids. We drink too much on Saturday night. We lie, we cheat, we steal. We're unfaithful to our spouse. And yet, he is still so kind that he shows up and he meets you. Not because he says, it's no big deal, go on and do what you're doing. It's because he loves you so much. And he is 
desperate for you to change. So if you haven't heard, we are studying the book of Genesis from January to December. And it is going to be incredible. Please do not check out because you already know the stories. Most of these stories you recall from your Sunday school when you were five, six, seven, eight. Most of these stories you recall because your parents read you a devotional at night to tell you these stories. That's what my mom did for me. Things like creation, the fall, Cain and Abel. Things like the Tower of Babel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Uncle Laban. When Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt, Joseph. What we're going to do is we're going to peel back the layers of these stories because of the one who was, who is, and who is coming now. We're not, we're not taking you back because you're all little babies who need to be reminded of these stories. We're taking you back because we're adults who see the Lord with a new lens because we were in Revelation and now we're in Genesis. I honestly, I feel like most people are like, where do we go after Revelation? It's the end of the Bible. I'm sorry. Do you see how thick this is? Where else would we go? You know? That's all I'm saying. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. So that's where we're going to start. We're actually going to start in Genesis 28 today. Um, we're going to talk about Jacob's Ladder. A story of old. Like You guys can picture it in your minds that what you thought when you were little, that picture just immediately comes flashing back when you hear that. So just some backstory here. Jacob is the brother of Esau. And Jacob and Esau are at odds in their mother's womb. If you've ever been pregnant, that would be the wildest thing. Like babies just punching each other. I think it'd be weird. In a haste, Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. And here's the thing. When we were younger, we were like, oh, a birthright, what's the big deal? Birthright carries so much significance. It included privileges, inheritance rights, prominent social status within families. It ensured the passing down of family assets, leadership roles, and sometimes special blessings. And in this case, it was a big freaking deal. And because he's so hungry, he's like, whatever, feed me. That would be me. Let's be real. I like food a lot. A lot. Too much. Like Chick-fil-A, I have to give something up? Sure. Go ahead. I'll leave my kid napping at home for that. Jacob ends up stealing the blessing with the help of his mother. Jacob successfully deceives his father. I don't know about you, but deceiving my parents is like the worst feeling in the world. The worst. And Esau hates Jacob. Rightfully so. But also his fault too. Jacob and Esau's mother overhear Esau's plans to kill Jacob, and she helps Jacob flee. She says, hey, 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 go, 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 go to Patamaram, something like that, you know? I don't remember. <laughs> go find a wife, like, go be safe. I'm sorry, let's just talk about division for a second. Can you imagine, let's just say you are one of three kids, and your mom sides with the other two, and sends the other two running from you because you are so mad at them. Like that, talk about some intense family division. I mean, there's probably bigger stories of that too. We'll talk about that later. So this is where we're going to pick up in Genesis 28, 10 to 15. Jacob's dream at Bethel. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled to the town of Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. 
Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from heaven, sorry, from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. Jacob had lied and stolen, and yet the Lord still met him. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And all the families of earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. His promises are yes and amen. Other translations said, He dreamed that there was a ladder, stairway, placed on earth, and the top of it reached out of sight toward heaven. And he saw the angels of God ascending and descending on it, going to and from heaven. A stairway to heaven. A ladder from earth to heaven is a symbol that he is close at hand. Heaven is not this far off, confusing space. It is close at hand. He is among us. The ladder can symbolize connection, it can symbolize communication, ascension, and progress. So it can be a, a plethora of different things in your life. The angels were ascending and descending on the ladder, and it's this beautiful picture of heaven coming down, of us coming up here and experiencing him in new ways. What is, yes, one of our biggest jobs here on earth is to make disciples, okay? But another one of them, part of making disciples, is bringing heaven to earth. That's what's happening here on this ladder. Heaven is coming to earth. How do we do that? How do we bring heaven to earth? Jacob is getting this incredible picture of the spiritual realm. What does that look like for us today? When you experience the Lord, you're experiencing this dream. When you have visions, when you have pictures that you didn't think of yourself that just show up in your mind, when the Lord gives you words that are specifically for you or for someone else or someone comes and gives you a word. The shaking of your body, the physical shaking of your body. I've experienced this once. I hope to experience it more because it was so incredible. There was someone that I love here uh, who was desperate for the Lord, desperate for anything in his life. I don't even think he realized that he was so desperate for the Lord. And um, actually, another friend of mine came up to pray for him. And I'm standing there with my arm on him, and my body is vibrating. And I didn't know it was happening until after I went to someone, and I said, okay, they were being prayed over, and I was like, like my teeth were chattering. And she's like, you were experiencing the manifest presence of God. So the Lord, in his kindness, stooped down low to touch his people in that moment. And how often does he do that and we miss it? How often is our head in the clouds or in, the, in our agenda, in our planner, and we miss it? Other ways of crying, laughter are ways to experience heaven on earth. And uh, if you don't know this about me, um, if you would have met me 10 years ago, I'm not the same girl I was, praise God. 
I, I thought everything had to be serious. Like everything was a big stinking deal. And there was not a lot of room for joy and laughter in my life. And as the Lord would have it, I would marry one of the goofiest people on the planet. who was so fun. And I wish he was here. Babe, if you're listening on the podcast, I love you. And, and, and the Lord used him to break off this stoic, stony side of me. This, I want the approval of man so bad, I will conform. I was like, I was one way with this group of people, and I was another with this group of people. And then I realized I am a daughter of the king, and I get to experience joy. And recently, um, <laughs> with the youth girls one time, one Wednesday, not too long ago, we were laying up here on these carpets, and there was this thing where it's like, if you push on your chest so hard, it'll make you laugh. Okay. I didn't even need anyone to push on my chest. I literally could not stop laughing. And so I get into these, what we, you could call laughing fits. And I used to think the word Holy Spirit laughter was so goofy. Like, okay. And I've experienced that in so many beautiful ways because I'm no longer the girl who cared so much about the approval of man. And I think there's some people in here who you need to hear that. Like, it's okay to have fun. Like Heather was praying over me and she's like, hey, remember, have fun as I'm like, I've had such a bad week. Have fun. There's joy for you. He's not a God who's just like, everything's boring. Do everything the right way. Follow every rule. No, he's like, God, have fun. And there's so many people in this room that I've had so much fun with. And actually, the youth specifically was where I felt I could be my most true self. And I love each of you. And thank you for letting me be myself. You know, the thing about teenagers is they don't judge you. Like they, I mean, maybe they do, but they don't judge me. Kaylin judges me. What you talking about? And they just, they're like, you're free to be you. Like they just have this like childlike mindset. That's like, hey, let's just have fun together. No pressure. The gates are open. You have access. Open the door to your heart. This is also mentioned in uh, John 1.50. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. And this is a reference to the ladder that Jacob saw. And Jesus is talking to Nathaniel and he says, you will see greater things. How many of you want to see greater things? Including angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Jesus is the new connection between God and humanity, the latter connects us to heaven. Remember when uh, Jesus died on the cross, the temple was torn. Many times the only way people could get into the presence of God was like a handful of people who had to do special rituals. And listen, you don't even have to wash your hands to meet with God. Like, good, wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. But you don't have to do that to meet with the Lord. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to have a clean cut, haircut. Be nice. Maybe you didn't look so bummish, you could experience the Lord, aka myself. <laughs> when you come up here, you will see greater things. For far too long, we've been okay. We've been stagnant with just like right here. All the surface level talk, I'm good, I'm fine. And the Lord says, hey, come up here. I will show you greater things. 
Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Get on the ladder. At this point, like, what, you, what else you got to lose? Bring heaven to earth. Come up here. Experience the Lord in new and powerful and profound ways. Well, how do I do that, Peyton? Make it a daily habit to meet with the Lord, preferably in the morning, before you set out to start your day because you're going to forget. Share what God's doing in your life with other people. Ask God, hey, tell me what did God do this week? Because what happens is, is it encourages us. It spurs us on. We want to keep running the race when we hear the good things and we're not trudging through the mud. I would say all of us would want to come up here. So tell a few people and do it. Don't wait any longer. <clears throat> Genesis 28, 16 to 19. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also so afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up early. He took the stone he had rested his head on, his head against, and set, and set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it, and he named the place Bethel, which means house of God, also pre, or although previously called Luz. Getting ahead of myself because I'm excited. Jacob was so incredibly marked by the encounter that he had with God that he changed the name of the town. It was once called Luz, and now it's called Bethel, which means house of God. Biblical people often renamed places to signify a change in ownership, to recall what God did, and to honor the Lord. There is a change in ownership. We are taking background from the enemy and stamping it with the name of the Lord our God. This church is a prime example of taking background from the enemy. This used to be a swingers club. If you don't know what that is, it's having multiple partners. There's probably more to it, but I'm glad that's all I know. And my brother-in-law, he often talks about this. He says, I still have a video on my phone of them using a jackhammer to break up the last piece of foundation that attached itself to this place. We need to start naming places and spaces in our life in our homes, our workplaces, our bedrooms, our schools, our cars, our neighborhoods. Like, what if we started stamping the name of the Lord? Like, my neighborhood's called Islebrook. They just paid a lot of money for a stupid sign I could have made myself. I would like to just stamp it with the name of the Lord our God. I'd like to see every person in my neighborhood come to know Jesus. And I can even say that even after a neighbor rejected me for coming this morning. I still want her. She loves Jesus, but she's not free. Hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> That'd be so bad. Actually, I'd probably be good. It's set her free. So we're taking back ground. We're naming places. 
We're anointing doors and we're asking the spirit of the Lord to enter. Yes, you are subduing chaos. Yes, please do that. I did that all week. If you did not listen to Phil's message, subdue some chaos in your life. Okay, and then Heather came through and she talked about how we are set apart and we, are, we walk in holiness with the Lord and no one is exempt from his presence. So what you need to do is go home and start naming the places with the spirit of God, with the Lord our God. I've shared this before, but it's been a number of years. Uh, there was a family here in our church who they were going through some significant trials with one of their kids And I had heard about it, and I had chose after my boys had gone to bed to turn all the lights off in my home and to contend, I need to do it more often, to contend for their family. And I will never forget what I had experienced. My eyes are closed, I'm faced towards the window, and the Lord all of a sudden takes me into the spiritual realm. And he begins to show me a light of heaven, the light of heaven, shining down on homes in the city of Peoria. Specifically, this home had the light of heaven shining down on it. And it was such a beautiful reminder that the gates are open, that the doors are open. And and like any human, uh, like our fleshly thoughts and desires would do, I'm standing there, and I know my next door neighbors love Jesus. And I'm like, God, if this is really you, they're going to have a light on their home. And so I turned in the spirit And I look over, and Hope and Larry have the light of heaven shining on their home. And I said, okay, God, I know it's you. The gates are open. We're going to switch gears just a little bit. We're going to talk about Joshua. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty the Lord invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. Just real quick. I, like, just thinking about my own home, like, yes, the door is open to the Lord. Like, I will open every window, every door, every access point for the Lord. And I think some of you need to ask that question. Does he have access? Are the doors of your heart open for him? Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. I got to slow it down. I'm going to give you the end before the end. So some backstory on Joshua. He was an assistant to Moses for 40 years in the wilderness. Talk about commitment that you would be under someone who had to walk in the wilderness for 40 years. One of my absolute favorite things about Joshua is from Exodus 33:11. It's not the only instance. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as he speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of, man, son of Nun, would remain behind the tent of meeting. What if, what if that was our attitude at work? Like our boss, we're sitting in a meeting and everyone leaves and you stay to keep working. You stay to honor the Lord with your work. Or if that was your, your kid who's up in the middle of the night complaining again about the dark and instead of just leaving him alone, you stayed in there and you comforted him. What if after Sunday mornings you didn't just sit in the house of God and enjoy it, you went and met with the Lord on your own on Monday morning? And Tuesday morning, 
in Wednesday morning, and Thursday morning, and Friday morning, and Saturday morning. That's called come up here. That's called committing and experiencing the Lord in new ways. He, Joshua was devoted and he walked in holiness with the Lord. He was one of the 12 spies and one of the only two who wanted to move forward and conquer the land. Moses has passed away. So sad. Like, he is the one who did all this work. And because of a simple mistake, he was, you know, going on the promised land. That speaks to me. I want to enter the promised land. I hope I'm checking my heart so I get to enter in. Joshua sends two spies to scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River. And that's where we're introduced to Rahab, the prostitute. Her story is incredible. The report is that the Lord has given them the whole land and all the people are terrified of them. The priests were instructed to carry the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River and the people were to follow. Joshua 3, 14 to 17. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. So one little plug here. I used to read my Bible and be like, that word is way too hard to pronounce. So I'm just going to be like, blah, 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 and like go to the next thing. And I realized when I started like actually sounding out the words, I don't even know if this has sounded out correctly. It's fine. But when I started actually trying to sound out the words, I would go and see I would look up how to pronounce it, and I was right. And so I think we shouldn't be scared to try to read God's word. The enemy often tries to trick us. Oh, I'm not smart enough to try to figure out what that word is. No, figure it out and keep reading God's word. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. If you didn't know, the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of the Lord resided in this time. The symbol of God's presence and guidance, the cloud by day and the fire by night. The Ark served many purposes to the Israelites, and one of them was the reminder of God's faithfulness to them. We're going to pick up in Joshua 6, 1 through 5. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times when the priest blowing the, with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout, as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight in. 
to the town. Israel was so highly feared because it was widely known that the Lord our God led them and worked on their behalf. I really hope that that's our reputation as a church. But is that your reputation? Are you known as someone who is led by the Lord our God? Who works on our behalf? The Lord gives very specific instruction on how and he and Joshua and the Israelites are to battle. He says, I have given you the town, the kings, and all the strong warriors. And this is how you're going to do it. I'm just going to take a poll in here real quick. How many of you know what the front lines means? Okay, I'm going to give you two examples, and then you're going to tell me whether you thought A or B. Okay, this will be a fun little game we're going to play. Okay, this comes out of a date night I had with my husband several years ago, who was uh, supposed to be preparing to, to deploy, and we had this long, extensive, hilarious conversation. And okay, so for A, A is when, <laughs> can you, I got A is me, that's what I thought, okay. So A is what I literally thought the front lines were, okay, like there was a line right here, not a physical line, but just pretend. There was a line right here, and there were people like boom, 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 lined up, okay, and then the enemies were on this side. Okay, and they were just going to go with their spears and just be like, someone's going to be like, one, two, three, go. Okay, I, now looking back, it's so not logical to think that. Like, as they're holding guns, it's just like, boom, 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 like, game over in five seconds. Okay, so that's A. That's really what I thought. B is, he's going to crack up when he hears me say this. B is, so for Dalton's specific job, um, he was called TACP, Tactical Air Control Party. He'll be proud of me for that. And what he would do, he was considered someone on the front lines. And what he would do is he would hide in huts. I don't even know if that's huts is the right word. But hide in these spaces. And then he would control aircraft that flies over and tell them where to specifically drop bombs. Okay, how many of you thought A? Be real. Okay, girl, yeah. Okay. How many of you thought B? Okay, no one wants to vote. Let's try this again. How many of you thought A? Okay, thank you. I feel very validated. How many of you thought B? Jason, you already knew. He says, you and your fighting men, your warriors are going to walk in a circle. And I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, my husband is trained in combat, and we're going to walk in a circle? That's me. That's for real. How many of you? Anyone? Are you all like, yes, I'll walk in a circle gladly. Looks like all of you got one nod. You and your fighting men and the Ark of the Covenant will walk in circles around the city of Jericho. Joshua obeyed. He was submitted and surrendered to the plans of God because of, because of his history of intimacy. Because of all those moments where he stayed in the presence even when his mentor walked out. Does your history reflect this? Does your history mean you will submit and surrender? I sure hope mine does. 
All right, we're going to do Joshua 6, 6 to 14. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it. Each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of them armed men marching in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. I might be in trouble if that was me. Hard to not talk. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day and then everyone returned. Then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. <clears throat> Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns, on the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. The Ark of the Covenant was used as a weapon of war. It's later talked about, I'll give you a quick summary in 1 Samuel with the, day, with the, God, uh, with the pagan god Dagon. And the Israelites and the Philistines are fighting each other, and the Israelites lost the first battle, and then they had the idea, like, hey, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. And they're cheering, and they're celebrating, and the Philistines are like, why are they celebrating? We just defeated them. And then they realize it's because the Israelites had the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God as their weapon, with them, and they flipped. Literally, the Bible says, help. They were saying, help. That's how much they feared the Lord our God. And uh, sadly, the Philistines defeat the Israelites again, but not to uh, your surprise, you will find out that the Lord still worked on their behalf because he is good. And uh, the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant as a badge of honor, as a trophy for winning the battle. And they went and they put the Ark of the Covenant next to their pagan statue, Dagon, their pagan god, Dagon. And then they went about their merry business, probably celebrating because they won. And the next morning they went in to check on that's how much they feared him. They went and checked on it. They went and checked on it, and they found that pagan god Dagon was on his face. I mean, every god bows to the one, the Lord our God, on their face. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll just put it back. Like, what's the big deal? So they go on their merry way. They come out. They come the next morning, and literally Dagon's face is gone, and his hands are broken off. And they're like, give it back. We don't want it anymore. Give the Ark of the Covenant back. The darkness cannot coexist with the Lord, our God. God's presence is our weapon of war. The Israelites carried his presence around the walls of Jericho because they were submitted and surrendered. Because they wanted the promised land. The Israelites did not depend on their own strength and their own military knowledge. They depended on the authority and power of our 
God. And he is that God then, and he is that same God today. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Joshua 6, 15 to 16. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. A few verses down, Joshua 6.20, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. There are battles still to be won. There are towns and spaces and places in our life where the walls need to come down. We need to let the Lord our God capture the spaces and places in our life. That thing that you don't want anyone to know about ever, the Lord wants that. Your secret, your top secret information, the Lord wants that. Your darkest dreams, the Lord wants that. He wants the valleys and the mountaintops. How we choose to submit and surrender determines the outcome of the battle. Are you going to suit up on your own and yell your loudest battle cry? Or are you going to be submitted and surrendered? Carrying the presence of God into war with you as your greatest weapon. You see, I strongly believe that 2024 is the year of healing for God's people. Several people I love know that already. We're contending for healing for some people that I love currently. We've heard stories already, but I believe there is more. I believe all year long, we're going to hear the stories of God's healing. I believe it's going to be physical healing. I believe that shoulders and arms will be repaired. I believe that allergies and sensitivities will be gone. I believe that minds will be healed. I believe that they will, be sub they will subdue the chaos. I believe that with everything inside of me. I believe there will be spiritual healing. For people who have carried around God wounds for so long, I believe there is healing for you. I believe there's healing for church hurt. I believe there's mental health healing. I believe there will be healing for depression and anxiety and bipolar disorder. I believe there will be healing in 2024. Interestingly, not interestingly, as the Lord would have it, my son, we've been dealing for, he's almost five now, for four years, we've been dealing with skin issues and food sensitivities 
And there was one day recently where I was just like, I can't believe we've done this for this long. Four years is a long time to have a kid with sickness. And um, a while ago, he had gotten into peanut butter. And he began to have reactions that scared us to the point of like, okay, I'm going to watch you while you sleep. His face was bright red. There was, um, he was telling us that his throat was itchy, which is like, those are big signs. It's time to go to the ER and get some help. But I can stand here to say, two weeks ago, he had peanut butter with no reaction. Because I believe our God is healing in 2024. I believe we will see total healing in my son's life in 2024. Let's talk about ways that we feel God. I feel it from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet right now that my son will be healed. And if you don't believe that you are going to have healing, I will believe for you. Because I believe so much. I've watched him heal Heidi. I've watched him heal my son before. I believe so much he will do it again and again and again and again. So remember how I talked about how Psalm 23 was a really good season for me, but it came with a lot of challenges? I want to share some of that with you because I believe it's going to bring healing to some of you in here. So um, in between my middle and my youngest, we had a couple miscarriages and we had awaited having a baby for such for a long time. And the excitement that would come with bringing a newborn into our family and we got pregnant and it was full of so much joy. It changed me in the most incredible ways. And um, I believe that he has a marking of God on his life already. And he's a one, he's a one-year-old. I believed it from the minute I introduced him to my sisters, that he had a marking of the Lord on him. And um, we were so excited to bring him into the world. And my water had broken. For those of you who don't know, that's what happens when you have babies. Not all the time. Um, so, and I knew, I actually went to bed because I'm like, there's no way. I'm like 36 weeks in one day. It's a little early. And um, that next morning, my husband went to work. He was like, oh, you're fine. And I called the doctor. And she's like, oh, why don't you go get in checked out? I had nothing packed, like nothing. No baby bag, no, like no nothing. Some dear came over and like cleaned my house afterwards and got it in order. Um, so we had Hachi, and it was so full of joy until the moment it wasn't. I had had a C-section, so when you have a C-section, it's a little bit delayed to when you actually get to hold your baby. And I went in to hold him, and I had finally gotten into my room, and I'm holding him, and he turns blue. And I said, get him off me. And over the next six days, we would go through a series of tests and scans and, and all the things, and I literally felt like I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. As doctors were saying, if you take him home, you will die. If you aren't going to be equipped to be his parent and make medical decisions for him, I will. Those are fighting words in my book. And we brought him home. And something that had been laying just below the surface my whole life reared its ugly head. You see, the spirit of fear, I was able to control it. I was able to manipulate it and just keep it below the surface because everything was fine. Everything was good. And those first two months sucked. 
You see, when you have a baby, that first connection is so important and vital for the mom and baby to connect. Now, because the Lord is so good, I connected with my baby despite my circumstances. And what I didn't know is because I didn't deal with that in that moment, it snowballed into something bigger that I was not ready for. And we had gone on a vacation to Lake of the Ozarks. And to this day, I want to redo it. Like, I will go back and I will claim redemption on that trip in Jesus' name. So we had gone with a couple of our friends. And every night we were there, I couldn't breathe. And I am not one who deals with panic and anxiety on a regular basis. There are people in my life that do. And my heart just breaks for them. And I believe there's healing for them. But every night, I couldn't breathe. And I would call Dalton in, who's having so much joy. I need you to pray for me. I, I literally can't catch my breath. And on the last night, Dalton and our friend got in kayaks at 9 or 10 o'clock and went out to the water. And some backstory, my neighbor across the street tragically passed at the Lake of the Ozarks. Because I didn't subdue the chaos in my mind, because I didn't go to the Lord and say, please, Lord, help me deal with the spirit of fear, it got bigger and bigger. And to the point where my sweet friend, I went and got out of the shower. I'm like, there's something wrong. And like any friend would do, she'd be like, okay, I'll be right down. And we're yelling the names of our husbands at the top of our lungs where are you? Answer me. We're yelling, Jesus. I make phone calls in hysterics, which is not my personality. Saying things that I would never say, and I was convinced. I was convinced the next morning I would get up, and I would drive home five hours, just me and my boys. And there were some really good people in my life who pointed it out. They pointed it out and they said, that's not you. That spirit came on you and made you someone that you weren't. That spirit manipulated you to respond in a way that you wouldn't respond. And I realized afterwards, you see, this spirit of fear distorts what's happening in your mind. And what I had thought was, thank you, what I had thought was, a five-hour ordeal happened in 20 minutes. But in my mind, it had been hours and hours and hours. And so I came home, and a couple people had known what had happened, and they sat with me on this rug, and I sobbed my eyes out because I don't want that to be on me. I don't want this spirit of fear to manipulate me and change me into someone I'm not and making me react in ways I would never react and so I dealt with it once and for all. And we went back, um, someone had met with me because I don't know if you know this, but therapy is expensive and not covered well by your insurance. And, um, and I hope to some way, someday pass the gift on that someone gave to me that met with me, sat with me, and helped me peel back the layers and figure out what is the root. And one of those roots I had realized was I have had father wounds for 25 years. 
You see, a father is supposed to care for you and protect you and lead you and guide you and love you. And I didn't have that from my father. He tried hard. Now looking back, he has many wounds of his own and probably some love he didn't receive himself. And he tried the best that he could. And in that moment, as I was sitting back in the war room, warring for my freedom, the Lord broke off 25 years of father wounds in my life. I can now go to my dad's house and enjoy him, not think of all these mean thoughts and hold this bitterness that I had towards him. I can sit at his table, I did it yesterday, and laugh and have fun with my sisters and see him the way that God sees him. Some of us are walking around with these things on us. It's time to get free. And it's going to take some work. And it's not going to feel good. And unfortunately for me, it took some intense circumstances for me to wake up. And I hope it's not the same for you. I hope today, I hope today you will not walk out of here still carrying those same things. You know, the spirit of fear still tries to come in. We went hiking recently with some of my friends. And in my mind, I'm like, don't let my kid walk over there. That's a little too close to the water. I'm like, nope, it's time to subdue the chaos. I want my boys to have joy. I want them to run. I want them to adventure. That's what they were made to do, not with my helicoptering on top of them. You see, there are battles that are still to be won. There, is a, there still needs to be a change of ownership in something in your life. for some of you the battle will be bloody and you will be bruised and you will want to quit for others it will be walking around the walls not saying a word circling the walls most of the time the battle does not look the way that we thought it would I just want to give you three tools for the battle. Number one, the presence of God. If Jesus, if you have given your life to him, tap into that. For every battle, you will need his presence. If you don't know Jesus, he would love to meet you right now in this moment. All you have to say is, Jesus, I love you. You've been hearing me talk about the Lord our God, and it's been moving your heart. All you have to say is, Jesus, I love you. Forgive me for my sins. I want you in my life, and the door is open. Number two, submit and surrender. Does your intimacy with Jesus, does your history of intimacy with Jesus mean that you will submit and surrender to the battle, to the way that he asks you to walk through it? I would not have chose to walk through what I walk through. But because of my history of intimacy, I was able to overcome. You are more than an overcomer if you love Jesus. Number three, you need a trusted circle. Someone you can pick up the phone. I mean, I think it was like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Pick up the phone and say, hey, can you please, I need you. Can you, this is what's happening. Someone that you can say, hey, I am in the, I'm on the mountaintop of this battle. I've overcome, or hey, I'm in the valley, and I desperately need some people to come alongside me. Whether it's cleaning my house, or picking me up, or 
showing up when I am desperate and I can't get out of bed, washing my hair, whatever it might be. Some of you need to let the walls come down on the things in your life. Hand over ownership. The gates are open. Would you stand with me? I'm going to have you guys just close your eyes and open your hands to receive from the Lord. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. And let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. Let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the King of glory. Jesus, we thank you that the gates are open, that the doors are open, that we have access to you. We thank you that we get to come up here as you meet us, Lord. We thank you that we get to bring heaven to earth, that we get to experience you in the most incredible ways. Lord, if there's battles raging in our lives, God, would you give us the tools to overcome? Your people are more than overcomers. So, Lord, our God, would you meet us, Lord? If there's things that we need to hand over ownership of, Lord, would we do that today? Would we not leave this place without handing over ownership to every space and place in our life? And Lord, would we go home and would we claim the places and spaces with the name of the Lord our God? It's in your name we pray. Amen.